0: Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Sigrid the Haughty! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood.
1: Hello hello, and welcome to Rex Factor where we are reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip It's been a while G-Man It's been a very long time indeed, apologies for our protracted absence
0: Well I should apologise really We used the um, you moving excuse, genuine Yes, uh, and, and then, then as soon- me
1: running out of research
0: Yeah, but as soon as you moved in, what did I do? I opted and had another baby, didn't no. I? You did indeed have another baby. Which Congratulations rather sh- through a dummy in the works. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, she's. A she. She's a she. <laughs> she's a boy without a winkle. It's yeah. a miracle. Uh, <laughs> girl's name is. It feels like a quiz. I do know this. <laughs> Bonnie Elizabeth. Was going to go with Elizabeth first, um, but we didn't. Uh, so there we are. <laughs> but I feel like it's quite rexy with the old Bonnie and the Elizabeth yeah, there. Yeah.
1: So we've got a new strategy to try to avoid having another enforced uh, lengthy absence. Mm. Previously, we were working with quite an intensive schedule, doing a new episode every week, plus the Privy Chamber. Yeah, yeah. Which meant there wasn't enough time for me to do new research. On top of a a, a day job. Yeah. But, you know. What we're going to do now is split it up into lots of mini-series. I'll do the research for a few of the main podcast episodes and then a special episode, with episodes being released every two weeks instead of weekly, so we build a bit of breathing space and I've got time to research as well as edit and do the podcast.
0: And also then, if you're a Privy Councillor...
1: You still do get weekly episodes
0: because we've got the Privy Chamber. Yeah, so episode, PC, episode. Exactly. And that works well. Yeah.
1: Anyway... Yeah. We are doing Sigrid the Haughty today, which will be a surprise for some people because they will be expecting Emma of Normandy. Yeah. I decided to move things around a bit because, without giving too much away, Emma is around for a long time and takes us nearly up to 1066, which has its own special narrative pull. Right. So rather than having to jump back nearly 50 years for two successive episodes, we're delaying Emma slightly and effectively treating her as Canute's consort in terms of the chronology. Uh. So we've got Sigrid today then Elgith, and after that it will be Emma, uh, followed by a couple of Ediths before we get to the end of our mini-series. So we are going to be doing Emma, we're just delaying her very slightly. Okay, and we're on to Normans? And then we'll be on to the Normans after a special episode on Chateau gaillard Oh, brilliant, looking forward to that. So today we're reviewing Sigurd the Haughty, who is the consort of Sven Forkbeard, briefly conqueror of England from 1013 to 14. Or was she? We've become accustomed to a lack of information about the Saxon consorts, but Sigrid is a little bit different. We have a name and a character to go with it, but we're not sure how reliable this is. There's a lot of debate about who exactly she was, who exactly Sven Forkbeard was married to, and when, and by whom he had what children. (laughs) And also there's some debate as to the extent to which Sigrid the Haughty even existed at all. Right. The reason for this uncertainty is that much of the information for the woman known as Sigrid the Haughty comes from the sagas.
0: Oh, isn't that a, aren't a lot of those sort of involving
1: dragons and made up? Well, exactly. To what extent can we trust the sagas to tell us about Sigrid the Haughty or anyone else for that matter? The thing is, you and I are not really experts on saga literature.
0: Well, Speak for yourself, Graham. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I've got a, yeah. I've got a thing or two in my back pocket. I, I think I just summed it up quite well with, you know, dragons and whatnot. Yeah. However, we know a couple of gentlemen who do know their way
1: around a saga.
0: Our American chums. Saga thing! So,
1: welcome to the podcast, John and Andy. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. Uh, so, for the benefit of the listeners, could you uh, just introduce yourselves
2: and... Saga Thing podcast. So, uh, I'm John Sexton, and I'm one half of the podcast. Uh, I am a uh, professor of medieval literature in Massachusetts.
3: Yes. And I'm Andy Fringer, and I am a professor of medieval literature here at the University of Mississippi. And uh, yeah, Saga Thing is kind of an outlet for John and I to get to talk together about. Old Norse literature, something we've loved for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We met in grad school and bonded over learning Old Norse and studying the sagas of medieval Iceland. And once we both received our PhDs and got jobs in different parts of the states, we needed an excuse to continue talking about these sagas. So we invented the podcast saga thing um, after listening to your podcast for such a long time. Um, So the basic idea is uh, we just review each of the 40 sagas of Icelanders. And in a given episode, we will summarize the action of the saga or a section of a saga and offer commentary on the historical context, maybe some literary analysis or review relevant scholarship. But eventually we finish the summary and then it's time to uh, judge the saga. Right. And in our
2: judgments, uh, so this is something where the influence of Rex Factor is very clear because uh, like Rex Factor, we subject each saga to a series of judgments based on the rigorous scientific method of having chosen the subjects years ago and never having changed them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, our chosen topics are uh, best bloodshed, which is a celebration of the moments of violence in the sagas. Which is, I mean, anything from a hall burning to a spear in the privates to one man nice. hitting another man with a severed ram's head. Uh, the gotta get into the sagas. So we can't. gotta do this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: um,
2: the body count, which is what it sounds like, and should be a straightforward category, but usually devolves into arguments about math or corpse quality. <laughs> uh, nicknames, uh, which is a judging of all the many, many nicknames used in the sagas to distinguish Thorstein Bull's Leg from Thorstein Staff Struck from Thorstein the Codbiter. Notable witticisms, where we decide on the best one-liners in the saga. Uh, and then there's uh, Outlawry, which is roughly, I think, the equivalent of your scandal category, where we weigh up the evil deeds done in the saga and kick one figure off the island survivor style. Mm. Thingman, where Andy and I reveal our own values by drafting a person from the saga to join each of our meat halls. And final ratings, which is what we do instead of the Rex Factor. Just a rating from 1 to 10, weighing up the saga as a whole. Cool.
3: And the Thingman section really re- reveals, as John said, our character. And John chooses the worst of all possible people. So I'll let you read into that what you will. <laughs> I, I choose winners, Andy. <laughs>
0: that sounds like me, then. I, I like the... Um... <laughs> I don't necessarily go for the perceived goodies. Yeah, there's more than one way to be outstanding.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. Now, this is going to sound like a slightly uh, silly question, but what exactly are the
3: sagas?
2: Oh, we probably should have mentioned that first, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: So there are a lot of different kinds of sagas, so it depends on what kind you're talking about. Um Prior to the 12th century, uh, at least as far as we know, most of Iceland's culture and their history were preserved orally, uh, often in poetic form. So you have like the poetic Edda and you have poems that actually end up getting turned into sagas um, from uh, from the 10th century, usually. Uh, but they, they started writing their own history kind of more diligently in the 12th century. And that started with a record of the settlement of Iceland. Uh, and then a prose narrative biography of bishops started to kind of emerge. Those are called the Bishop Sagas. And by the early 13th centuries, they're, they're, they're writing King Sagas, which are biographies of Norwegian kings. Uh, you know, the the Heimskringla by Snorri Sturluson is a collection of King Sagas. Uh, we'll probably talk about that a bit today. Um, but we don 't talk about any of those in the podcast <laughs> not yet we're we 're far more interested in the East Lending of Solgar or the Sagas of Icelanders, which we call. The family sagas. And these are stories of the men and women who settled Iceland. Uh, They typically begin in Norway during the early days of King Harald Fairhair when he's kind of consolidating his power. And we follow a group of Norwegians who emigrate to Iceland and we follow them as they claim land, establish their free society, and then begin feuding for generations over access to resources and slights to their honor. And they, they kill each other and they travel around and they go viking. Um so how reliable are they as historical <laughs> sources or are they more literature?
2: Are they historical uh, fact or historical fiction? Right. This is the <laughs> this is the million dollar question, isn't it? Um yeah. generally it's accepted that the sagas are primarily literature. Um they're they're history in the same way that someone like Alexander Dumas is history, right? It's uh, historical novels. Uh, but punching up the uh, the sword fighting, the action, the love affairs, and that kind of thing, possibly at the expense of anything resembling historical accuracy. Uh, <laughs> then you sort of mix in a big dose of myth and the occasional troll, and you have a saga. Uh, the, the, I think the trick is that every time you start thinking of the sagas as safely fictional, right? They're just something that somebody made up. One of them starts accurately describing historical events and biographies, and every time you started relying on a saga for historical context, a dragon flies by or a ghost <laughs> seal floats up through the floor. Uh, so I think ultimately the in- interesting question is what the saga writers thought they were writing, right? whether they thought they were writing history or literature, and the answer there is yes, uh, because <laughs> that, that hard-line distinction between those two traditions of literature
3: and history isn't necessarily a medieval concept. Yeah, and the Hans the for example, like Snorri Sturluson, he, he's tracking major events, and so there's evidence to suggest that all the major events and most of the major characters he's he's uh, detailing, uh, they existed or they happened. But what what Snorri is able to do is is flesh things out with, with dialogue and flesh it out in terms of uh, describing some of the scenes. So it's very action-based rather than kind of the typical kind of historiography that we look for in modern histories.
1: Mm. But is there actually... Um always an alternative to them, or is sometimes the sagas the best thing that we have for a historical account of some of the events? Or
2: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that often uh, we're reliant on the sagas in the absence of other historical data. Archaeology is notoriously difficult uh, in Iceland. There's just very little surviving. Uh, and so when we want to know what happened, we're reliant on written sources a great deal of the time. Uh, and the sagas are the predominant written source that we have to rely on.
3: But the problem is that a lot of the written sources that are coming out of medieval Scandinavia are all coming after the conversion of these yes. countries, um, which happens rather late, right? So what we want to know about what happened in the 8th century or the ninth century, it's all going to be stuff that's passed down uh, generation after generation through oral stories.
1: Okay, so the sagas are potentially the best thing that we've got, but equally they may be taking some liberties uh, with the truth. Well, with all of that in mind, let's see if they can help us unravel the mystery of Sigrid the Haughty. Who do we think you are? Yeah, so Sven Porkbeard conquers England in 1013 from mm. Ethelred the Unready. Mm. And then, unfortunately, him dies just a few months later in 1014. But he is king of all England. He is king of all England. And he has known children, most notably Canute, mm. who also becomes king yeah, of England. Yeah. Mm. So having these children he must also have a mother well Sven well he must have a mother he, he must, must have have a, <laughs> a, He must also have had a woman to mother his children yes the question of course is who exactly she was mm-hmm. now unlike the Saxons where we often had the issue that there were children we knew there must be a mother but we but, just didn't yeah. know a name yeah. we do actually have some names to go with here hit me mm-hmm. with them so we've got Sigrid the Haughty. yeah Gunnhild of Wendon and uh
0: Yes. Am I having a go? Svetislava. 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 So
1: are we just choosing who his wife is, or he had three? Well, this is the thing. Does he have one wife? Does he have two wives? Or are they some kind of mix of the same thing? Or are they all one person, you mean? Are they all one person? We just don't know. We're going to find out. Okay. The difficulties, as we've been discussing, we don't really have contemporary written evidence such as the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle.
0: No. So we're going from an official, like... A Keeper of Royal Hereditary Titles All this sort of stuff In the Saxon Times 2 Poems Well Sagas
1: Yes <laughs> Sagas and <laughs> Yes and also some European sources um, Which are potentially Actually more contemporary Than The sagas Right
0: Well the sagas aren't contemporary Are you going
1: to come to this Sorry Well actually we, we could uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> <we're yeah>. Bring in <laughs> some experts Yes this that's true
0: <laughs> So how contemporary Are the sagas then to What's the name
2: Sigrith Sigrith uh not especially. Uh so the the earliest of the sagas are usually dated to the uh, early 13th century. We're looking at something that's happening between 2 and 400 years after uh after the after her time at the at the earliest. Wow. Yeah.
3: And our, our main mm. historical source from Scandinavia about Sigrid the Haughty is going to be uh the Heimskringle, which is written around I think 1220. So, oh, yeah. Quite a quite yeah. a quite a long time after.
0: Yeah, I see I in my mind sagas were this oral tradition that at the time, that was just the first time they were written down? Right. Or is That's actually, going back?
2: Yeah. No, that that you, uh, you've you clearly taken the free prosist position on the matter. Uh, <laughs> That's right. the, Classic, These the sagas are a, a writing down of oral tradition. And so there's a sort of unbroken chain from the events to their writing, uh, even though that chain is quite long. Yeah. Uh, but there is also a different school of thought that says that they're essentially invented in the 13th to 15th centuries by the writers. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. tricky then if it's that one. We don't like that one. That one's uh, no. that one makes it difficult.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, that doesn't help.
0: That doesn't help at all.
1: So, <laughs> first up on our list, we've got uh, the name on the title of the episode, Sigrid the Haughty. Mm. And we're really relying on the sagas for this version okay. of Sven's consort. Uh, so, she is identified as the daughter of a Swedish nobleman called uh, Skogel
0: Tosti. <laughs> Sorry, sorry i'm not laughing at your entire entire period of study here i I wouldn't get through the first page of a book with the name right scrotal toasty no what did you say scogle <laughs> or scoggle right toasty uh okay that's less good mm. still pretty pretty good name yeah, yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> scrotal toasty <laughs> yeah.
1: right, which does
2: make her cigarette toasty daughter if that helps you oh okay <laughs>
1: Uh, she's initially married to Eric the Victorious of Sweden, mm. mm-hmm. um, and she is the mother of Olaf Skotkunung mm-hmm. who later becomes a king. Mm-hmm. After he dies, Stroke repudiates her, depending mm. on the saga that you're reading. Uh, she has various suitors that then want to marry her, which she forcefully rejects, mm. most notably including Olaf Tryggvason, who becomes king of Norway. You'll remember that name from the Battle of Molden fame. Oh, yeah, right. Mm. Uh, Before she eventually marries uh, Sven Forkbeard, who's the king of Denmark. Mm. Um, But Sigrid the Haughty is not mentioned in the continental sources, which are more contemporaneous to her actually existing, nor any Mm. of the other histories. And, in fact, if we're talking about Sven's consort and the mother of Canute... In Heimskringler, Snorri Sturluson says that Sven Forkbeard first marries Gunnhild, daughter of Burislav, king of the Vends.
0: You'd think the one that was the mother of the heir would be more prominent. There's no suggestion which one of these. Well,
1: I, th- th- I think that Snorri suggests that Gunnhild mm. is the mother of Canute and Harold, and that Sigrith is the uh, mother of Estrid, or right. Estrith, perhaps. Mm. Yes, okay. Sven yeah,
0: Right, okay, so we're thinking it could be G- this lady Gunhild. Yeah, so Gunhild, also mentioned
1: in the same source, she's said to be one of three daughters of King Borislav of the Vens, which is
0: actually Boleslav I of Poland. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, though, that there's these um, th- this network of uh, what would be allegiances of, across from Britain to Poland at this time.
2: One way that you can think about this is that um, because these these folks were so accomplished at sailing, uh, that for them, uh, their sort of territory was really water bordered by land rather than land bordered by water. Right. And so the North Sea forms a kind of centre to the places that they think of as being part of their baliwick or part of their kingdoms. Huh, that's fascinating. Isn't it? So, mm. so the
0: centre of power being some random place... In the middle of the North Sea, and from there they can sort of draw a, a circle around, and that's the, what they see as home, rather than one specific bit of land at the edge of it.
2: Right, because they aren't concerned with building the infrastructure
3: of roads and so forth. Right, they're using the sea as their road. Yeah. But that said, the the kings of Sweden and the kings of Norway, uh, the kings of Denmark, they take their territory ownership rather seriously. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times they're trying to secure their ownership of that territory or expand their territory and expand their influence with marriages to people, um, that they're sending their ships to. So Poland becomes a really, really viable, um, place because it's not too far from Sweden. Mm. So it's a useful marriage alliance for Sven.
0: Yeah.
1: To be making,
3: yeah. um, according to mm. Snorri, it's
1: not actually for the benefit of a useful alliance that it happens, but he's actually been taken prisoner, forced to make uh, peace with, uh, Boleslav. And, uh, to make this piece, he will marry, according to Snorri, Boleslav's daughter, whereas Boleslav will marry Sven's sister, uh, which again, pronunciation, Tyra? Tyra? Tyra?
3: Okay. Is it uh, I, I'll allow it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank
1: you. <laughs> Problem with this account is that, in terms of timescales and all this sort of stuff, Boleslav, for it to be one of his daughters doesn't seem very realistic because they're really far too young so it's thought that it's mm-hmm. more likely a sister of boloslav so a daughter of miesko who is his father
0: right okay so this
1: suggests that snorri has perhaps got a little bit confused and maybe isn't quite so reliable for pinning all of this down so if we now turn to some of the continental sources we get an alternative and perhaps more realistic name to fit this genealogy mm. sviatoslava
0: Okay, she exists, we right. know that from continental writings.
1: Theatmar of uh, Mersberg, uh, who is, I think, pretty much contemporary to these events. He's certainly yep. the oldest of the sources mm, yeah. that I've yeah. got. Yeah. Early he to st- mid-11th
2: century, yeah.
1: Mm. He states Sven Forkbeard has one wife, which is the daughter of Miesko and the sister of Boleslav. Right. And she is mother to all of his children. Right. And he's a pretty well-informed source on Poland, on Denmark, and this also helps to explain the fact that there are reports that when Canute comes to England, he's got Polish troops.
0: Okay, so that's concrete, isn't
1: it? And we've also got the Encomium M.I. Reginae, Reginae, which is uh, a book commissioned by Emma of Normandy that we'll be looking Mm. at later on, um, who should know her stuff. It's a history about the Anglo-Danish dynasty, and that states (laughs) that Canute and Harold went to the land of the Slavs to bring their mother back to Denmark before Canute invaded Denmark.
0: Well, there we go done so what's the problem
1: well before we rush to a conclusion Theatmar isn't the only continental source and they don't all tell exactly the same story Adam of Bremen who I believe is a bit later
2: Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: He also says that Sviatslava is the daughter of Miesko, so agreeing with Theomar, but he also has similarities to Snorri's account of Sigrith by saying that this Polish princess was first married to Erik of Sweden and then later to Sven.
0: Oh man!
1: He's also the only source to explicitly state that Knut and Olaf Skotkin are half-brothers, which would be an important relationship as they are later both Scandinavian
2: kings. And then you have problems like Thietmar, uh gives the more what we think to be the more accurate uh, family relationship, that she would be the sister of Boleslav, but then doesn't name her, uh, where Adam, who mm-hmm. comes decades later, gives the name Slava. But uh, then seems unsure as to who she is in relation to the the men of Poland. So it's similar
1: to the issue we've had with the Saxon consorts, where there isn't a contemporary name, so we rely on later historians like William of Malmesbury for this detail. Mm. But we're not always confident about the accuracy of his genealogies. So it's not necessarily the case that one source is correct and the others wrong, but rather some elements seem more likely, but from different accounts.
2: Right.
0: Okay. It just um, at the moment I'm just determined to pin pin it down and say, no, right, it's this person.
3: Further complicating the, the problem, as I was just talking about with, with Ingigerd, Ingigerd marries into a Rus family and changes her name to Irina mm-hmm. and then eventually becomes Saint Anna. So it, <laughs> when the, when these women uh, marry into new cultures, it's not uncommon for them to change their name. So is it possible mm-hmm. that Svetislava is a woman who changes her name to Sigrith or is known by Sigrith?
2: And, that's, uh, and just to add one more layer to this that supports that, there's also the possibility, remember this is right around the time that everybody's converting to Christianity, which also often occasions a name change. Yeah. You take a baptismal name uh, uh, to leave behind your sort of pagan identity. Uh, and so Rollo the Viking becomes Robert of Normandy. Uh, and so it's entirely possible that uh, as you're moving between these cultures and between these religions, that new names would stick to you over time. And also reading
1: it's possible that it might even if it wasn't contemporary it could even have been saga writers looking at the name and thinking like us Oof, oh dear right <laughs> that's right. <It's laughs> to we could use this.
2: right give her a good apple pie name like sigrith mm. yeah
1: So that might be the key for us coming to some kind of resolution here. We've had differing accounts and names, but there's also a lot of overlap and some similarities. Mm -hmm. So we might not be talking about different people, but maybe the same person for whom certain biographical details have been confused and maybe names have been changed. Mm. So Svetoslava and Sigrid may actually be the same person. Okay, and then Gunhilda? Well, the problem with having Gunhilda as this first and separate wife who's Canute's mother is that this doesn't tally with the encomiums account of Canute bringing his mother back to Denmark 20 years later. Because if Gunhilda was his mother and she had died many years earlier. I can't have been there. Before Sigrid. Yeah. The more likely explanation for Gunhilda is that Snorri created a second wife because of his confusion around whether she was the daughter or the sister of Boleslav. <laughs> so he has a name which tallies with Svetoslava or Sigrid, but Boleslav didn't have a daughter of that name. So he therefore had to assume the Polish princess must be Gunhilda and wife number one, while Sigrith, because she married Erik of Sweden must therefore be swedish and so they become two distinct figures and two distinct wives when in fact they may have been the
0: same person i just feel like we we perhaps didn't have the the best talent on the job writing this stuff down they yeah. haven't got <laughs> just make it up you No, know, probably a sister probably write it down i already <laughs> have good <laughs> unreal then they're off for a pint what? Hang on. What did you what What did you say did her you?
1: name was? Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you later. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sister, brothers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. So, Ali, you're feeling pretty confident now. But, I uh, am armed with all the info I need to tell you all about. Are we, are we done biography? Oh no, we're about we're about to do that. All <laughs> oh, right. I thought I thought that was an excellent link. I just it did. was an excellent link. I just
1: thought you were going to say one of the names. <laughs> oh
0: no. <laughs> biography.
1: So. Using what we've been discussing, we're going to put together one
0: cohesive version
2: mm. of
1: Sigrid the Haughty.
2: Good luck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so is this, for everything that we've learned, you've distilled down into what you think is it? Yes. So Sigrid the Haughty is probably born somewhere
1: around 968 to 972, the daughter of Miesko I of Poland and Dubrovka of Bohemia, mm. and she's consort of Sven Forkbeard. So we don't know, obviously, many details of her early years, mm. but her father, Miesko, is uh, Duke of Poland, the first Christian ruler of that country, and he's part of a highly successful Piast dynasty that basically creates the Polish state. Oh, right. Uh, very effective leader, pretty much doubles the territory of the country uh, that he'd inherited. And her mother, Dubrovka, is the daughter of a chap called Boloslav the Cruel of Bohemia.
0: Cool.
1: And by legend, he is notorious for fratricide, because he murdered his older brother, Wenceslas. The? The Wenceslas. Good King Wenceslas. <laughs> Good King Wenceslas, although he was probably actually a duke. Huh. But nevertheless, so Sigrith, therefore, is the granddaughter of the man that killed Good King Wenceslas.
0: Wow. Oh, Rex, dear. fact. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, I know about him. Right, I can tell you, I got, I even know what he once said about, on, what did he say? uh, good league hence and all that (laughs) 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 Rex fact (laughs) Uh,
1: and her brother also an important person Boleslav the first is the first actual king of Poland mm-hmm and he's a very successful ruler again. Poland now at this point pretty much at the forefront of uh, European affairs. And again, he expands territory probably beyond its current borders today. Mm. So her first marriage, we think, is to Eric the Victorious, who's the king of Sweden, mm. from about 970 to 995. Uh, Adam of Bremen says Eric allied with Boleslav against Sven Forkbeard. Oh, right. Uh, so marrying Sigurd is part of this alliance. And according to him, Sven is defeated and then exiled in Scotland for about 14 years, mm. uh, taken in by our good friend Kenneth II. All oh, right, nice. Uh, this doesn't necessarily tally with details of when Sven was in Denmark and building churches. Okay. So maybe if he was temporarily uh, inconvenienced, it probably wasn't for 14 years. Right. right. And now, in terms of her relationship with Eric, either um, he repudiated her mm. or perhaps he dies mm. and thus she is widowed. Okay. When widowed, she is a very wealthy woman and quite a powerful woman. So, obviously, she's going to attract a lot of uh, men who want to marry her next. All of these are met with what can only be described at this point as a firm no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's something else there. There's maybe something else
1: there. Um, The most notable, who didn't quite receive as strong a no, was the king of Norway, Olaf Tryggvason. No. And they actually do have sort of pretty full-on marriage negotiations, but ultimately this ends up falling through, yeah. and they part on rather bad terms.
0: Why can't I hear about the juicy bit?
1: Uh, because we will be juicing it up in the factors. Okay. So she then marries a chap, Sven Forkbeard. He'd seized the Danish throne from his father, Harold Bluetooth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. fact. Mm. Uh, in about 986. And... In terms of the marriage, we've already obviously discussed the question marks over this, but we're going to go with this. He marries Sigrid, the sister of Boleslav after Eric's death, and this brings him a friendly dominance mm. over Sweden. Mm-hmm. So Olaf Skötkanung is apparently quite on board with Sven, and they have something of an alliance together. It's
0: Denmark here.
1: Denmark is Sven, and he's, he's married Sigrid of Sweden.
0: And he's got a Sweden under control a bit.
1: Exactly. And he also then has an alliance with Poland because she is obviously a daughter of the, well, now a sister of the King of Poland. Now, according to Snorri at this point, events are pretty much led by the wrath of women. Mm. So we have Sven's sister, uh, Tyra, who is sent off to marry Boleslav, but she effectively refuses, goes on hunger strike, and then escapes from Poland. Mm. Comes all the way back, gets to Norway, where she marries Olaf Tryggvason. Mm hmm. Um, now, she then complains that Olaf is not doing enough to claim her various lands back, either from Poland or from uh, Denmark, or a bit of both, and that Sven Forkbeard won't pay her dowry. Yeah. So Olaf is eventually incited to say, yes, I'm going to go and get it back and take the fight to Sven. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sigrid is urging Sven to attack Olaf because Olaf married his sister without permission. Oh, right, and so she fighting, hates Olaf. Using their husbands as sort of proxy warriors. Yeah. So we have uh, a big old war between Sven and Olaf. Olaf goes off to Poland, either seeking allies or something else, but on his way back, he unfortunately is ambushed, because Sven's built up an alliance, including his uh, son in... Stepson stepson, Olaf scott ambushes Olaf and we have this epic naval battle of Svolda. Is that the one we did in Sven's biography? It is the one we did yeah. with Sven, yes. Yeah. So this ends up with Olaf Trigvason sort of fighting to the very end on the Long Serpent, his great long ship.
0: Yeah, wasn't there a raft of boats or something? Yeah, yeah. all around each See, other. See, I remember that because we <laughs> were talking about boats. <laughs> boats. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm <impressed. laughs> uh,
1: And then he, when the end is clearly near, jumps off yeah. Off the boat and is not seen again. Right.
2: Rumors persist that he survives this battle, but no one ever actually finds him or sees him. So they mm. are that. They're rumors.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, when uh, Tyra hears about this, she commits suicide by starvation. Oh, dear. And now then, apparently, in one, about 1002, Sven Forkbeard decided that Sigris was a bit too much for him and repudiates her.
0: All <laughs> oh, right. What is wrong with her? What like what? What's going on? Why do they all keep repudiating her?
1: Well, we'll we'll come to her sort of slightly hardy reputation.
0: Oh yes, the nickname. Yeah,
1: in, yeah, the, yeah. in the factors. Mm. Um, but it's possible that she sent back to her brother's court in Poland. Mm. So, as I say, one blog I read suggested that she was a noted advisor to Boleslav in this period. I'm not sure there's any hard evidence for this, but mm. if she was there, yeah, with experience, international experience, maybe. Sven goes on to conquer England in ten thirteen, but as we said, he dies a few weeks later uh, in February of ten fourteen. His son Harold succeeds him as king in Denmark, um, and before Canute decides to launch a new invasion of England, Canute and Harold both go potentially to Poland, bring Sigrid back with them to Denmark. Mm-hmm. What happens after that? Canute conquers England in ten sixteen. Does Sigrid go with him to England? Does she stay in Denmark? Apparently in, um not sure when this was, maybe 19th century or maybe early 20th century, some Polish researchers apparently wanted to explore Westminster Abbey to see if she was buried there. Yeah. Did they, they were they not allowed to? They applied for a permit but were refused because apparently they didn't have enough evidence mm. to suggest that she was, so they didn't want them just going, digging around and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looking for <laughs> enough. female skeletons.
0: Yeah, and I suppose uh, Westminster Abbey have got a little bit more to l- lose than... Uh, the uh, revenue of one car parking space in Leicester. Exactly, yes.
1: Yeah. Um, but there was another notable theory about where she might have ended up.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. If we look outside of our usual sources, we end up with this uh, the story about uh, the Harald Scare Woman. Uh, so in the 19th century, in about 1835, I think, a woman's body was found in a peat bog in Jutland. Uh, now that's not all that unusual an occurrence but this one was in exceptionally good condition uh, and appeared to have been laid in the bog with some care and that led people to speculate about her identity uh, eventually a few people started to say maybe a queen and they started looking around for queens who might have ended up in a bog and the two that the two candidates they came up with were uh, Queen Gunild and Sigrid the haughty
1: and I should just point out for Ali's benefit this isn't Gunnhild, oh, sorry, yes. This is, oh, yeah. Right, Okay. different
2: Gunhild. Uh, but um, the body, on the basis of being associated with those two women, was eventually placed in a uh, glass sarcophagus in Denmark. It's actually still on display there. Hmm. Uh, and in fact, uh, in the 1970s, about 40 years ago, uh, a carbon dating analysis of the body was done and established pretty definitively that neither one of these women has anything to do with the body because it dates from the 5th century A.D., so nearly uh. half a millennium before either one of them died. I
1: like that it seems sort of apt as with sort of all other parts of it. Even in death, there's this sort of assumed potential right. story. And then we thought, actually, no, it's, we're about no, 500 we years off with this one.
2: <laughs> you can still have, your, still have your story and then walk away from it and try to find the history and fail. Mm.
1: <laughs> so that's the uh, biography for Sigrid. Mm-hmm. Now I think it's time for us to review her. What? Okay. <laughs> well, there's got to be some more detail for you. Good. battleliness. So she's got a pretty hardy reputation,
0: mm. Sigrid. The,
1: uh, first of all, the it's Eamon Saga um, account, uh, the only mention of hers, right, at the start as well, it says, There was a king called Eric who ruled over Sweden. He was called Eric the Victorious. He married Sigrith the Proud and separated from her because of her difficult moods, for she was the most quarrelsome woman there ever was. He gave her Galtland their son was Olaf the Swede
0: he gave a Gotland
1: Uh, in Sweden oh yeah
0: nice Hmm. it's building something you're going to let me in on this secret soon
1: Uh, as we said the suitors that follow Eric are forcefully refused Mm. and this is where her nickname comes from but we're not going to talk about that just yet (laughs) first of all though we're going to talk about her encounter with the mighty Olaf Tryggvason okay so for a bit of context here she's refused all of those suitors firmly and negotiations then open between Sigrith and Olaf. Olaf, potentially ambitious to create a sort of Christian Scandinavian empire at this point, mm. a very powerful king of Norway, expanding his territory. So chance to marry the widow of the king of Sweden, mm. the mother of the new king. It's quite a useful alliance for him to make. Mm. So he proposes marriage from afar, initially, and sends mm. a magnificent ring to her.
2: Mm. Mm. Or the far, t- safest way to propose to Sigrid, as it turns <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> right.
1: Don't go near her. Uh, but all does not quite go according to plan.
2: Right. <laughs> Queen Sigrid in Sweden, who had for surname the Haughty, sat in her mansion. And during that same winter, messengers went between King Olaf and Sigrid to propose his courtship to her. And she had no objection. The matter was fully and fast resolved upon. Uh, Thereupon King Olaf sent to Queen Sigrith the great gold ring he had taken from the temple door of Lada, which was considered a distinguished ornament. The meeting for concluding the business was appointed to be in spring on the frontier at the Gotha River. Now the ring which King Olaf had sent to Queen Sigrith was highly prized by all men. And yet the queen's goldsmiths, two brothers, who took the ring in their hands and weighed it, spoke quietly to one another about it. And so, then the queen had them summoned and asked why they sneered at the ring. And they said the ring was false. Upon this, she ordered the ring to be broken in pieces, and it was found to be copper inside. Oh! Then the queen was enraged and said that Olaf would deceive her in more ways than this mm. one.
1: Oh! Not a great start for. No, uh, that's
0: why it's good that he did it from afar.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, do what? Do we are
0: Absolutely. we to assume that he put in a f- fake one or that the? the the doors were made up cheap you know done on the cheap
1: oh. it sort of implies that everyone thought it was a great ring so i kind of feel like olaf's maybe just been sort of yeah. sold a mm. sold a false one
0: so the people who made the right. doors were like yeah solid gold rings on that <laughs> yeah yeah and they saved a few pence <laughs> yes
3: yeah. i was say of course the symbolism of the the, mm-hmm. the the ring is important here right that this the, the ring represents the gesture towards marriage mm. and she's mm. testing it and finding out that he's not uh, gold and and lovely ah, as he might yeah. seem on the outside, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: Despite this, though, um, negotiations do continue. So Olaf comes to a Konghalla in Sweden to meet Sigrid and press his claims further. And he gets pretty close, mm. it seems. They are actually in person having a chat now, but again, falls short of success. Mm. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Early in spring, King Olaf journeyed east to Konghalla for a meeting with queen sigrid and when they met they discussed the matter which had been broached in the winter that they were to marry and matters went very well then king olaf said that sigrid should be baptized and accept the true faith she replied in this way i do not mean to abandon the faith i have had and my kinsmen before me nor shall i object to your belief in the god that you prefer the king olaf became very angry and said hastily why should I want to marry you, dog of a heathen? And slapped her in the face with the glove that he had in his hand, whereupon he arose and she too. And then Sigrith said, This may well be your death. And with that they parted. Oh, my word. I've heard of bad proposals before, <laughs> yeah.
0: but never ending in a slap and a threat to kill. <laughs> <laughs> But she's not a woman to be messed with. No.
1: So it's after this that Olaf ends up marrying Sven's sister Tyra, and she is angry with him because she feels he's not done enough to uh, recover all of her lands, and she ends up goading him on until it gets to the point that he is decided upon waging war against Sven Forkbeard. And unfortunately, well... Not for the women But unfortunately for some of the people involved Sven is also
3: ground down By what seems to be constant pressure Coming (laughs) from (laughs) Mm Sigrith Sigrith was King Olaf Tryggvesen's greatest enemy The cause of which, as before said Was that King Olaf had broken off with her And had struck her in the face She urged King Svein much to give battle to King Olaf Tryggvesen saying that he had reason enough as Olaf had married his sister Thora without his leave and that your predecessors would not have submitted to such persuasion Sigrith had often in her mouth and at last she brought it so that King Svein resolved firmly on doing so
0: okay two sides they've both signed the contracts they're going to have the fight in Vegas yeah ding ding round yes. one
1: and it's a win for Svein Oh is it? Yeah Right This is where Olaf is defeated At Svalder on the oh, boat Oh on
0: the boat Yeah But so we've
1: got uh, Sigrid here First of all Eric's getting rid of her Because she's a bit too much to handle mm. Firmly saying no to her suitors mm-hmm. Giving Co- King Olaf Tryggvason A slap in the face mm-hmm. And then when Oh no sorry He gives her a slap in the face but She turns it right. down He gives her a slap And then she <laughs> says This will be your death Yes And it is Yeah Great. But it's pretty good, isn't it? (laughs) The other thing for her, of course, is um, Canute's conquest of England, where we don't have a direct uh, account of her being at the forefront of that. Mm. But nevertheless, if he goes off to get her uh, from Poland, and we've got that potential influence, potentially Polish troops in his army, Mm -hmm. again, maybe that link with her as the sister of Boleslav, Mm. perhaps that's an important part for him to be able to get some forces that are quite useful in England. Definitely. But... Is there a but? Well, I don't really have a but, other than the <laughs> but that's the case for all of this, that none of it might actually uh, have happened. <laughs> but if we ignore that bit, <laughs> mm, yeah.
0: it's pretty good going for battle. It's battling. pretty it's... good. Imagine if she yeah. had the control of her armies herself. Well, yeah.
2: That'd be fantastic, right? But, I mean, she's, se- she's setting entire kingdoms against each other. You have to. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah, she's a great fiery hawk of a politician. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, how do we do this with... Oh, it's been a while. How do we do this with other consorts.
1: Well, so for the consorts, um, most of the time we're not expecting them to be directly involved in yeah. military affairs. So often what we're looking for is agency independence of action. Oh, uh, well, then so the she's high. But I suppose with her we we obviously do have that, mm. but we do also have her actually inciting yeah, bringing about a war deliberately. So even yeah. though she's not fighting in it, she does actually yeah, cause it to
0: be. Yeah, she is pulling strings there. Mm. It's it is good. Mm. There's not an awful lot, but she does vanquish an ex potential lover and say to him, "This will be your death." That's a hell of a line. <laughs> it's like an action hero line, yeah. isn't it? Uh, So I think it's got to be five or above. Mm. I'll go a six.
1: Well, I was going to go higher than that I was thinking. Maybe a seven and a half.
0: Mm, well, yeah. maybe
1: an eight. Really? Well, it's we'll very, give her an eight, and then it'll balance my It's up. Very forceful. Yeah, I'm going to go with an eight. Okay. So you were a six. Six, so that's a 14 out of 20.
0: Is that our highest yet?
1: Uh, no. Lady of the Mercians. Lady of the Mercians.
0: Yeah.
3: Yes. And she deserves yeah. to be the highest. Yeah. <laughs> Scandal.
1: So, Ali, the uh, the dog that's been taken to the vet, is finally <laughs> about to learn. Am I going to get my lollipop for being a good boy? It's <laughs> <This is> horrible. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure what that meant. <laughs> oh, dear.
0: The suitors. Yeah.
1: That she firmly rejected Yes It's fair to say That there is a bit more detail to that Okay well I've got got my scandal bell ready Well good So her first husband Eric the Victorious has died She's a wealthy and beautiful widow And getting a lot of male attention Most notably from a chap called Harold Grentsk He claims to be a grandson of Harold Fairhair Uh, His father was killed when he was a boy, so he fled to Sweden, where he was fostered by, and this, of course, is in the Home so it's not quite with the version we're going with in terms of her biography, fostered by Skogel Tosti, Sigrid's father in the... Mm. Skrotel (laughs) Tosti. Skrotel Tosti. So they are sort of foster siblings Mm. of a sort. Um, Anyway, he becomes a minor king and gets married, Mm. but when Sigrid becomes available, he thinks, I can do better. Mm. Than my wife. I want to marry Sigrith. Mm. So he's nearby at one point, uh comes along, and Sigrith invites him because obviously they used to, you know, they grew up together. So he and his followers go to court. They have great celebrations and uh, lots of drinking, and Harold receives a visit from Sigrith.
2: Oh! At night? In the evening, when the <laughs> king sought his bed, he found it. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait till we get to the good part. Uh. They found it decked with covers of costly stuff And made up with sheets of precious material There were few persons in those lodgings And when the king had undressed and gotten into bed The queen came to him And herself poured out a beaker for him Enticing him much to drink And treating him in the most ingratiating way The king was dead drunk And so was she (laughs) Then the king went to sleep And the queen also lay down
0: Oh yes, <laughs> I mean that's not gonna—it's um, not gonna make it into a Mills and Boone, but it's <laughs> either end of the tasty mm-hmm. stuff. That is definite. Uh, that is definite.
2: Now, I think it's important to note that depending on which translation you read, there is an important addition um, in a different translation of this. You'll find uh, that when the king goes to sleep, the queen went away and laid herself down also. So, I think how much of a scandal bell we're going to give this depends on which translation you are reading.
1: Mm. Uh, So the next morning Mm -hmm. um, He's a bit hungover Sigrath seems to be in a pretty good mood But he's a bit glum Mm. Uh, Particularly when she makes an observation About the relative size of their dominions I.e. her land Mm -hmm. versus his land Mm -hmm. And doesn't actually seem to be all that impressed With what he's got Compared to what she's got
3: Maybe she did stay in his bedroom (laughs) I like it
1: Anyway, poor old Harold's pretty full on About all of this And goes home But he comes back
3: in the summer full of optimism mm. and proposes okay he soon came to the point asking her if she would marry him she said that he was insincere in proposing that because he was already so well married that he should be well satisfied Harold replied that Austa was to be sure a good woman and worthy but she's not as high born as I am Sigrith said it may well be that you are of nobler birth than she but I should think that the good fortune of both of you reposes with her few more words were spoken between them before the queen went away
0: mm,
1: denied it has been turned down mm. um, nevertheless harold once again was somewhat heavy-hearted mm. she seems to be in a bit of a glum mood quite a lot of the time <laughs> mm. harold uh, but despite all of the advice from his uh, friends and people that know her rather better he decides to have another try relentless okay. <laughs> so he goes back he is relentless uh, He won't take no for an answer mm. Which is not a good policy with Sigrith uh, So he heads back And uh, is ready to press his claim a second time He also finds that there's another petty king Of of Russia mm. Who's come to make his claim So he's now got two men Okay. After marriage with Sigrith yeah. She at this point seems to have Had enough and lost her patience And decides that she needs to make it pretty clear That she's not going to say yes
2: Yeah now both kings and their retinues were housed in a large and ancient hall pur- furnished in a, in a oh, fine God. manner. I think you can see where this is going now. <laughs> the drink was served there in the evening. It was so potent that all became dead drunk and that both their bodyguards and the watch posted uh, without fell asleep. Then Queen, Queen Sigrith had them assailed in the night with both fire and sword. The hall burned together with the men inside and those who got out were slain. Sigrith said that in this way she was going to break little kings of the habit of visiting her to ask for marriage. In aftertimes, she was called Sigrith the Haughty.
1: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Hall burning. Yay. (laughs) Firm no.
2: Well, it is definitive. Yeah. He didn't
1: ask again.
0: (laughs) Uh... Oh, imagine if it was in his will. <laughs> no, no, uh, um, I'm lost for words. I can't even ding that. They so and bearing in mind one of these people was a, a foster, brother. Brother. Mm. foster yeah, brother. Foster brother. I mean that's scandalous. But then yeah. to kill him because he asked twice. Twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Let's let's give her a It was annoying. This is his third <laughs> visit, right? So. Mm. It's getting annoying. She's right.
0: She burned him to death
2: for it. Well, and let's also consider that the other fella, Visvald, is just arrived. I mean, this yes. is his first <laughs> yeah. day.
0: Yeah. He has no <laughs> idea. Are we sure he wanted to marry her?
3: <laughs> he might have just been around. Yes, that that, that was his intention, oh. according to the saga. Yeah.
0: Blimey.
1: Olaf, oh, this is so. It's after this that Olaf thinks. You know what, guys? I reckon yes.
0: she's a right. keeper.
2: But yeah. again, this is also when he decides to woo her from afar, which. Uh, probably
0: a wise <laughs> move Oh, they, so that's before the ring business oh yes Or oh, he'd have been quaking in his boots after that wouldn't he <laughs> oh so yeah so I see what you're saying now makes a lot of sense
3: and to he the then distance. slapped
0: her when she said no to <gasps> him. he then slapped her
1: well what happened to him
0: what an idiot <laughs> <laughs> what oh god okay you've got to have a have a very strong well Instead of well, what do you, What's the polite way of saying balls of steel? <laughs> balls of steel <laughs> to marry her. You oh. have to have
3: some toasty scrotums, sir. So. You you
0: <laughs> yeah, why didn't she marry scroty toasty? That was her father. <laughs> okay, or not? It's a good reason. Uh dear, I'm. Um, I'm shocked, Graham. I mm. can't. Uh, uh, have we got any more? Because she doesn't need any more. That is the opposite of saintly behaviour. Mm. It is. So on those. <laughs> Uh, on that definition, this is a that's a big, big fat nine. Because mm. mm. you've got murder of we well, got regicide,
2: yes, yeah, My, petty regicide, yeah. Uh, but serial petty praticide. regicide, which yes, that's true, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, One of which being her foster brother. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't need to say no more. It's big. It's massive <laughs> nine. I would like to have seen a bit more sex scandal if I'm honest. Mm.
1: I'm going to go slightly lower than eight. Mm. I still think it's very, very good. It's a high score. Mm. Um, I guess it's just because it's this one incident, which admittedly, as we said, is two.
2: Maybe
0: I will go with
2: an eight as well, because
0: it
1: was but the
2: one time. How many hall burnings have you had on the programme?
1: I mean, that's it's, it's fair yeah. to say, I mean, the, we had some in the Scottish mm. series early on, but in the consort, the Saxon yeah. queens have done very little hall burnings.
0: I interpret this as her being... A, Present and holding the, a flaming torch and putting it to the thatch herself <laughs> wouldn't put it past that. have it yeah. way. The answer is no. <laughs>
1: I'll go up to an eight and a half. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe it's just so outright violent that yeah. I don't know, somehow with scandal you want something slightly saucier, slightly more carry-on subterfuge. A yeah. bit
0: more. And this is
1: just—it's just going out and killing somebody. Well, lots of somebody openly. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> yes, yeah, many somebody. I suppose also we should remember it isn't just two kings, it's all yeah, loads of
0: people. It's premeditated uh it's a spree. It's it's a proper Yeah. Yeah, I'll go back to nine. If you if you want to stay on eight and i go to nine. I've gone up we'll... to eight and a half. Oh okay.
1: <laughs> so that gives uh seventeen point five For scandal.
0: One. Subjectivity.
1: Well, I've got a little bit less to go on here. <laughs> mm. I'm trying to infer subjectivity. So, as I said, I did see a blog which suggested that maybe she was a useful advisor to her brother after she was repudiated. Mm. We also have the fact that in the uh, Encomium, Emma Regina, it says that the brothers went to the land of the Slavs and brought back their mother, who resided there. Then the king said farewell to his mother and brother and returned to the Winding Coast, Winding Coast, probably, where he had already assembled the fair spectacle of 200 ships. So, you know, the fact that their father's just died. Harold's just become king of Denmark. Canute's getting ready to mm-hmm. invade England. But they think, you know what we really need before we get on with any of this? We need <laughs> mum.
0: <laughs> I'd, yeah, I'd really want her on my yeah. side. I if mm. I'd think I uh, I love the fact that she's Canute's mum as well, who seems like quite a calm fella, like reasonable. <sighs> He's
1: quite reasonable, but equally, if there's somebody that he doesn't want to be around, then he tends to kill them.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's all right.
1: And also against her, obviously, we've got pretty violent treatment of her suitors. doesn't suggest that she's an right. impassioned supporter of justice. Yeah, And She does start a war. Although we should well. also,
2: yeah. I think it's also fair to say that uh, she did say no several times.
0: With no means no, yeah. exactly. No does mean no. But, you know.
3: And also, to be fair with, uh, with King Olaf, the issue there is he wants her to convert uh, to Christianity. She's reluctant because she finds not mm. only that her old gods are better, but uh, for a woman... Uh, the old gods are indeed better The old ways are indeed better than Christianity She has more freedom as a pagan mm-hmm. Than she would as a Christian So that's something that yeah. upsets him And he slaps her He's the aggressor in this situation
2: yeah. right. and, he, and she quite reasonably says That she's perfectly happy for him to be Christian If he wants to be She's not looking for him to convert hmm. right. She's just looking for the yeah. same sort of uh, uh, Leeway to follow her own religion
0: Not listening though We're having this trouble with my toddler And he gets the naughty step I'm mm. <laughs> you know, i just saying there's levels <laughs> Yeah.
2: so she'd be like on the 6th or 7th step at that point is what you're saying That's
0: uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right well subjectivity then is very low isn't it I'm finding it, I can't it, think it hard to find much to really
1: credit her with other than that she might have been considered a useful person to have on your side mm-hmm. like, as a subject of a country would you feel happy with her as your consort yes in the sense that she would protect you from a common foe no in the sense that if you did anything she didn't like
0: (laughs) Mm. and she'd probably and she starts wars and you're gonna die in that war that's also the case yes no nothing for me there yeah i
1: think i'm struggling to really give her much credit there i think i'm gonna have to be a zero as well for subjectivity
2: longevity yes i'm very interested to see how you work this out
1: (laughs) yes so if she's Queen Consort for Sven Porkbeard as King of England, he was king from the 25th of December 1013 to the 3rd of February 1014. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, one month, okay. which is 0.08 years. Mm-hmm. Now, we also give the consorts credit for their time as Queen Mother, mm-hmm. but we halve the score. So, if she was still alive under Canute, then she would have been his mother and thus Queen, Queen mother. mother. Yeah, but we don't know when she died. We don't know when she died. So we don't know if she was still alive when Canute actually became king Mm. because he brings her over before he Mm. invades England successfully. And if he does do that, we don't know when she stopped. Mm. So if we were to just say for the sake of having a number that she managed to six months of him as king of England, Mm. we then would have 0.5 years as queen mother. So if we add together the queen, which is 0.08, and the queen mother, which is 0.5 divided by 2, 0.25.
0: 0.25 mm. that gives us 0.33 years but just throwing a spanner in the works here i can't imagine what would kill her beyond old age <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> i think you should take the average age of a woman <laughs> at the time and assume she lived that long and spread see how long she would have survived for the way that we work out the longevity is with kind
1: of we take all of the scores and then work out the quartiles and everything mm. so that they all got a proportional score of 20 balance uh, unfortunately the threshold for getting a score is 0.36 mm. yeah and so because she's got 0.33 oh, man that could give her a score of 0 out of 20 oh uh, well she was never going
0: to win that she's anyway. joint 58th yeah okay
1: now the complication if she had got points of course is the question of whether she really counts as a queen consort Ugh, at all. yeah. Because if Svens repudiated her in 1002 and he doesn't become king until 1013, mm. then when he's king of England, arguably she's not actually his queen. Yeah. And you then have that tricky thing of even if she is mother to Canute when he is king, yeah. if she wasn't consort in the first place, she is can she be a queen, queen mother? Because yeah. then you get into that argument about the likes of Margaret Beaufort, so a mother yeah. of a conqueror. Who was never the queen consort herself, yeah. but was the mother of a king? The difference oh. is that Sigrid was at one point married to the man who became king, yeah. which Margaret Beaufort never was. Yeah. But,
2: oh, what I do you guys think? An, as a guest on the program, I think this is a dangerous line of questioning because it brings <laughs> us right back to Ali's original question why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's a very good point yeah. I made.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the church would argue that right. Sven couldn't have repudiated her so therefore they continue to be married even though he uh,
0: doesn't fancy her sent
1: her off to d- back to Poland
3: well it's alright because she's
0: got a score of nine, but she anyway. actually ended up with a score of 0 anyway yeah. so that, <laughs> that was lucky
3: yeah it's a fair score for someone who may or may not have existed exactly truly. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. There's, there's technically a number but it doesn't get to a full number so it's fine
0: dynasty not the program
1: well obviously yet again this is Highly debatable, mm. but we've got three individuals that we're pretty confident mm. on. Three who definitely existed in our children of Sven Forkbeard. We've got Harold, Canute, and Estrid mm. or Estrith. Harold becomes king of Denmark from 1014 to 18. Canute, of course, hugely su- uh, successful rule of England, Denmark, Norway, and parts of Sweden. Mm. And Estrid daughter is the mother of Sven II of Denmark, and the current Danish monarchy is descended from. No way. Her, so Sigrid if she existed, is antecedent all of that. And one of her descendants, Margaret of Denmark, marries James III of Scotland. Hmm. But that means that her line ultimately comes into... uh, yeah, And actually, potentially, Olaf Scott um, who doesn't count for this because he's the son of Eric the Victorious and Sigrid, but it's possible that his granddaughter marries one of the exiled sons of Edmund Ironside, and their line ultimately ends up going in when Henry I marries... A lady from that line. Uh, so by two different children hell. potentially. She's yeah. an ancestor of the current monarchy. Gosh. If she existed.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that that is some serious research people done in the family trees to go through all <laughs> those deep you know, going right back to Henry the First again. Mm. Amazing. So that's three children, which is a
1: score of eleven and a half out of twenty.
2: Very respectable. That's if real. Good, isn't it? So yeah. that gives
1: her <laughs> indeed. So that gives her a total score of 43, which is a lot lower than it maybe looked like it was going to be. We've got Battling a Scandal and Dynasty very high, but subjectivity and longevity somewhat letting her... Zero?
0: Down. So that's not even anywhere near... That's not... It's actually nearly half the top scorer.
1: Yeah. But it's not all about the scores, of course. Does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great achievement that we call... REX FACTOR! So we've got a pretty impressive figure. Queen Consort, potentially of Sweden, Denmark and England. And her son goes on to have a massive empire. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. We've got a woman very much with agency. It's not a woman to be messed with. Uh, Hall burning for the suitors. Brings about the downfall of Olaf Tryggvason.
0: Quite a character. Yes. And we don't just give Rex Factor to the goodies. goodies, Mm. The downside
1: is that probably she wasn't... Really consort of England, unless we're being strictly eleventh-century Christian about how we view yeah repudiation of wives yeah yeah. So, arguably, although she is a relevant figure as the wife of Sven Forkbeard and as the mother of Canute,
0: mm.
1: is, is she eligible?
0: And did, did she for exist? Rex
1: Factor. And the other slight caveat: Did she actually exist
0: at all? That mm. D- I think. I think that's my out (laughs) that I think the potential ineligibility Mm. and the question marks around her uh, existence (laughs) two levels
1: (laughs) of ineligibility (laughs) one is being divorced and the other is not actually existing at all Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, no Edward you can't marry Miss Simpson because she's divorced and doesn't even exist (laughs) she's in your head Uh, um, I think I will say no although if she did definitely exist and she was married to Sven Fortbeard when he was king, I would have been tempted to say yes.
1: Mm, I, think, I think I agree with that. She's got very much the qualities mm. for the Rex Factor. You're actor. not going to forget her. As you said, being married to the king definitively at the time is certainly one level of threshold, definitely existing.
0: It's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite That's, a major one.
1: And, you know, many of the Saxon consorts we've had, you know, the problems of yeah. existence and... Mm. status of marriages has been an issue so it's not actually like this is completely new to us it's just that weirdly we've got far more detail about someone whose existence we're not sure about
0: yeah 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 got you
2: you are you are now exhibiting exactly the behavior of someone who spent a while reading sagas (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: So that is a no for Sigrid the Haughty She doesn't have the Rex Factor But she is a pretty impressive character
0: What about our guests? Would you Rex Factor Uh, her? From
2: a very great distance would I say no Um, And so uh, (laughs) it depends on how close I am at the time
3: Yeah, yeah, good point I just don't think we have enough information about her uh, Even if she were the consort To suggest that she would be worthy of the Rex Factor So yeah, that's that's a no from me
2: I I would say Mm. Not the Rex Factor, but on our podcast, I would definitely consider her for Thingman. Yeah. I would consider would. her for Outlawry, and that's why <laughs> I picked the winners.
0: The age of difference. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Thingman and
2: Outlawry.
1: Mm.
0: Something I'm quite,
1: before we uh, before we go, something I'm quite interested with uh, Sigrid, it, it, particularly from what we've had with the consorts, it seems quite notable that she's got this very prominent role in the saga. The fact that she's got... Agency, both in her personal relationships and also in terms of you know diplomatic relationships. Um is this typical of women in the sagas or is she an unusual case in that?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I I think she's a fairly typical saga female, Mm -hmm. actually. Especially a saga female with power. We see examples of this kind of thing all over the sagas. The women in medieval Scandinavia are given a place of privilege compared to their continental and British counterparts. Uh, They're allowed to own property, run the household and farms in place of their husbands, and even divorce when they don't feel the relationship is working for them anymore. Their their place in the sagas is often to hold things together for the family. Uh, And sometimes that means goading men into action when the family's honor demands vengeance be taken on an enemy. So Mm -hmm. you can see Mm -hmm. them as kind of insiders of action, kind of working through the men and from behind the scenes to some degree. But they do have agency and they play very important roles in the narratives. But because they're written through the eyes of men, um, they are often given a negative quality in a hyper-masculine culture. Is that because
0: um, these are powerful women because in their old religion they had lots of power and then it's Christian men trying to come to terms with that, saying, well, they must have been witches or something.
3: That's an interesting way of thinking about it, definitely, because you, you're, all the authors of the sagas, um, all the ones who are writing these stories, they're, they're all Christian men, mm. um, and they are living in a society that is thoroughly Christian. And so their view of these women who are wielding power and influence, you think of, of men writing these and, and being very uncomfortable with the, the idea of women having that kind of power and agency, especially in government, much less the home. So yeah, these women have access to divorce, they're at, they have the ability to own property, they have the ability to lead men. Um it's it's not a, a horrible deal if you're looking at living at some point in living in medieval Europe, right? You'd want to be Scandinavian, I mm. would think. Well, guys, thank
1: you so much for uh, appearing on the podcast and uh, bringing your your wisdom to the <laughs> yeah, yeah, that you.
0: was Sigrid the Haughty.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. This is uh it's
3: really exciting to be on Rex Factor. It's- so
0: how can people find you? What's the what's the what's the it's just Saga Thing Podcast yeah. in any
3: Yeah, so uh in, in all of your little <laughs> podcast uh finding databases, we are Saga Thing Podcast. Um you can reach us on our social media, that's Saga Thing Podcast on Facebook, Saga Thing Pod on Twitter, and Saga Thing Podcast on Instagram. Or you can email us at sagathingpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Perfect. Excellent.
0: There we are correspondence corner
1: so let us know what you thought about uh, sigrid the haughty get in touch with us on social media we are on twitter and instagram at rex factor pod like the rex factor podcast facebook page and get involved in the discussions there You can email rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com and go to rexfactor.wordpress.com, read the blogs, and complete the polls. Cool. And do remember to send in your hashtag consult cards. If you would like to support the podcast, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you use, and subscribe. If you'd like to support us financially, which is always very welcome. Ding dong. You can do a a one-off donation via PayPal, Mm -hmm. and we are very grateful to Aaron Tunney for having done that.
0: Thank you, Aaron. Or you can join the Privy Council. Okay, now now this is the Rockefeller stuff. Donate
1: on a monthly basis to get bonus content. Uh, the Privy Chamber podcast we do after each of our main episodes. Special episode access. Uh, mugs and t-shirts, depending on mm-hmm. what level you donate at. And we have some new Privy Councilors to welcome into the fold. Excellent news. Nikki Poulton who uh, presents Tea and Possibilities, a knitting podcast oh, on nice. YouTube. Oh. So we've had quite a lot of knitters that have been oh, really? following us on Instagram. And every now and then I think, why are these knitters? <laughs> 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 uh, Nikki Polton, Penny Tangy, Hilda Andreassen, Face, Becky Morgan, Jennifer Lynn, Carry On Madley, K.A.E. Smith, Jordan Blumberg, Victoria Pearson, Den Liu, and Brewer Bill Walton.
0: Hey, legends to a man and woman.
1: And we've got some messages from our new Privy Councillors. I love these. YQYV85.
0: Is that the question?
1: Says. Uh, Oh, you started with Y. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Been meaning to join the Privy Council for a while now. I'm still on the Scottish series, but I'm catching up. Your podcast keeps me company on my drive to work every day. Keep up the good work.
0: Thank you very much. Well,
1: now, oh, watch that light. Kirsty Petraberg says, I cancelled Netflix and joined the Privy Council. Oh, wow. Thanks for the podcast.
0: Excellent. Well done. That's amazing.
1: The Holtzwart-Allen family discovered this podcast during those first weeks with a newborn, Dynasty One. Good work. She's almost six months and we've almost finished the Scots. Her first words will probably be, Edgar the Peaceable of ball wrong. <laughs> oh, dear. In all honesty, though, it wasn't Edgar missing out that shocked me. It was Queen Liz's dad, George VI. Can you name one other monarch that battled against their own personality and desires for the good of the country? Seemed to be a great dad as well. He'll always have the
0: Rex Factor to us. Well, that's an interesting one. Mm, you said himself. yes to yours. Did I?
1: I said no, yeah. Oh. And, hi, Alan Graham. I've been meaning to make this commitment for a while as I thoroughly enjoy the history and the humour. Informative and laugh-out-loud funny. Love it. Sharon, a Scouser living in Dunedin, New Zealand. Ah,
0: lovely. My um, my aunt lives in Dunedin. Yeah. yeah.
1: And we've got some messages from other listeners. Mm. Uh, This is from Heather Sink on Malcolm III of Scotland, uh, who was married or called to St Margaret. Oh, yeah. In my younger days, I attended a St Margaret school in Victoria, British Columbia, which was actually named after this Margaret. The school's motto is Serviti in Caritate, Service with Love, though this seems strange in retrospect considering it's non-denominational school. It also has Hogwarts-style houses with Margaret-related names. Turgo, the name of her contemporary biographer, Malcolm Canmore, because Malcolm is sometimes known as Malcolm Canmore, mm. big, big head, and Christian, sorry, he had a big, big head <laughs> might have meant big chief, or it might have been associated with another Malcolm who perhaps had a, a large bonds. a large bonds. You learn everything here, don't you <laughs> and Christian. They may have run out of ideas, by the way. <laughs> 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 oh. FYI, I was in Canmore House, so my head is in fact normal size. <laughs> uh. So, thank you very much for all your messages. Yeah, thank you. And uh, next time we will be doing Eldgith. Who? Mm. No. Right. Just Eldgith, okay. who is the consort of Edmund Ironside. There yeah. Anyway, see you next time.
0: Cheerio.